Proverbs 26, I want you to look with me again. Notice very carefully a certain theme that takes place towards the end of the chapter. Verse 24 says, He that hateth dissembleth, means he disguises, that's what that word means, dissembleth with his lips, and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not. Why? For there are seven abominations in his heart. Verse 28 says, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. In other words, Solomon is warning here against certain silver-tongued people, persuasive people, flatterers and charmers who in reality are anything but charming or loving. In fact, you see the word hate in verse 24. He repeats it, that same theme of hatred in verse 28. And it is a reminder to us that some of the most civil-speaking, sort of smooth-talking, fawning, anti-hate-loving people who are in this world are actually the most hateful. Verse 24 again, He that hateth dissembleth, disguises with his lips. He layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair or fair words, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Again, the talk, the talk is fair. It's pretty. It's peaceful, loving, accommodating. But the aim, because of what's in his heart, the motive is the last word of verse 28. It is ruin, destruction. And you know, it's interesting to see the metaphor Paul uses, or Solomon uses, to illustrate all of this. Verse 23, burning lips, by the way, burning lips, if you look at your lexicon, it goes right along with this same theme. It means passionate lips. These are still smooth, flattering words. They're just fervently spoken. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. A potsherd covered with silver dross. Here's the picture. Okay? You probably won't see it if you're far away. Silver is valuable. Right? Silver is attractive. It is versatile. It is desirable. If I had a piece of silver that was this solid and thus pure through and through, it would be as valuable as it is pretty and shiny. But silver dross is another matter. That's just the crust, the film, the waste from the furnace. And if it's used to cover up, as this text says, as Solomon says, if it's used to cover up a potsherd, which is just clay, then not only is it just worthless, it's actually deceptive. Then it's like a silver tongue that brings ruin and sorrow and pain while it promises the exact opposite. And of course, not for nothing, beloved, is this territory you will find throughout all of the Word of God. There are so many warnings, including from Jesus himself, to heed the wisdom of Solomon and not be influenced by the fervent, smooth words of a lying tongue. And yes, 
There is a whole heap of victory and joy and grace and blessing in, in, that is covered in the counsel of God's word right here. I hope we'll listen to it. I hope we'll all consider it very carefully. I want to speak on the subject, shiny dirt. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we need to hear. We know that this is the inspired and infallible word of God that Solomon, even though he was the wisest man of his day who ever lived, we know that these words are beyond his own wisdom. This is the wisdom of God. Speak to our hearts through it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Burning lips from a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. There are three things I want us to consider this morning from today's text that I have to say are especially timely and needful for the people of God at this moment. You know, folks, our forefathers in the faith and women as well. From Peter and John, James and Paul, all the martyrs in the Roman Colosseum, their entire families, the wives and their children, to the Dark Ages and the Communist purges, to the religious persecutions and the inquisitions in Europe and England, our predecessors were almost always offered opportunities to sign on a line or to change their affiliation, or agree to some proposal, or take a position or money to recant and avoid the persecution. And they were sweet-talked. And they were coaxed and flattered and stroked with the silver dross of this world. So that all they really had to do was just compromise their convictions, deny the faith, relinquish their children, or divide their loyalty. Just listen to the fair speeches of Torquemada or Mary Tudor or Francis Wingate and all the advantages that they would therefore gain. But these believers and the millions throughout history refused to bow or bend or believe those lying tongues. Today, today, too many Christians and churches are more like Demas than they are like Daniel. Daniel, and I've often wondered, you know, I've often wondered who and what it was in this world that seduced Demas away from Paul and the Lord Jesus. Whatever he heard that deceived his heart, Demas has had 2,000 years now to regret for believing that thing. Three things about flatterers and silver tongues that they say with a disguise I want us to consider. And the first one you'll notice, number one, is let's build. Verse 25 says, When he speaketh fair, believe him not. Now, there's a perfect example of this in the book of Ezra where God's people were rebuilding the city, the wall, and the house of God. You'll notice on the screen Ezra chapter 4. Here's what it says in verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Wait a minute. The word adversary, you see that, right? Well, you know, you don't have to be an English major to know that an adversary is an enemy. And that he, what he wants for you is adverse. What he wants for you is harmful. And yet, notice what these adversaries actually say with their silver tongues. Verse 2. And they came to Zerubbabel and the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you. 
Now, wait a minute. They came to Zerubbabel and the chief fathers and said, let us destroy you. Let us defund and distract and, and disable you in the work of God. Is that what they said? No, you can see it. That's not what they said. Because, folks, these enemies and these adversaries of God's people said the very same thing that God's enemies have always said when they first seek to destroy a work and a people of God. Let us build with you. Hey, hey, they said, let's join hands. Don't build a wall of all things. We have money. We have machines. We have manpower. We can help you. Let us help and let us build with you in this work. And you know, beloved, it's a perfect illustration. It is a perfect reminder that Christians who are trying to build a marriage, trying to build your home, trying to build your children and raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. If you're one of those, you can mark it down that the enemy will not come to you first and say, let me destroy that work. What they'll say is, is hey, let, let me help you with your children. Let me help raise that child and let that child's heart. We have, you know, a common core And after all, it takes a village to build a child. Let us build with you. And then they said in verse 2, if you look at it, for we seek your God as ye do. No, beloved, actually, they don't. They really don't. You know, Christians need to be very discerning that just because some deist government official or some cult with lots of money and charisma can convince with their kind words that they too believe in your God. They too believe and love Jesus just like you do. And they want to give you some tools to help your marriage or to help you raise your children. They seek your God as you do. It sounds and it looks so good on the surface, but it's just pretty silver. It's covering up a lot of dirt. Let us build with you is what they said. Here's what the people of the land actually did. On your screen, verse 4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in the building. And verse 5 says, they hired counselors against him to frustrate their purposes. That's what they did. Didn't match at all what they said. So that the very end of this chapter says, then ceased the work of the house of God. It stopped. They got their way. Any church, any Christian who seeks to do anything for the glory of God, please hear this, should expect and be ready and be prepared for adversaries to come along and oppose that work and to do so, first of all, as a friend. As a friend. If you have a burden, you have a vision to build a strong marriage, Godly grandchildren or godly children, mark it down, you will have adversaries who will hear about that and they will not like it. If you attempt to raise up those young people in order that they would glorify God, again, mark it down, you will have adversaries who will not like it and who will oppose it. This entire property where we're seated right now, this entire 20 acres on Indian Town Road is testimony to that. You know, Ronald Reagan used to say the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. (laughs) 
I remember when he was running for president. Louise and I were just married. The economy was horrible. And as a candidate, Reagan said this. He said, recession is when your neighbor loses his job. Depression is when you lose yours. And recovery is when Jimmy Carter loses his. Amen. <laughs> I'm from the government. I'm here to help. You know, Reagan actually said that in the 1960s. When we were praying and working and giving and building this property here, Brother John Moore and I had to talk to the county, he had to talk to the building department, and I had to talk to the commissioners. I scheduled meetings with every single county commissioner in their office. It was time-consuming and tedious and also eye-opening. But it needed to be done in order to jump through certain hoops. I remember one commissioner in particular who simply did not want this church to build a building out here in the farms. All of them, you may recall, voted to limit the number of seats to any future auditoriums in the county to 250 seats. It was so un unconstitutional that the Justice Department came down and got involved. But this one commissioner who came up with the 250 number really, when I walked into that office, turned on the charm offensive. Pastor Blaylock, welcome. Come in, have a seat. Would you like a snack, a beverage? Pastor, we really want to help you. We want to join forces with you and, and save you costs and expedite your mission. Because we, after all, we have the same goals in our community. Finally, they got down to it and said, all you have to agree to is, is give up eight acres on the south side of your property as permanent green space. Man, I had never seen this person this nice ever, and I had had many conversations. And of course, I don't have the right. <laughs> I, don't have ne I have neither the right nor the authority to give away property that you folks paid for with your hard-earned savings and money. So as this offer is being made, and the pot just continually needs to be sweetened, I'm sitting there remembering what I had just read that morning in my own study quiet time. It was 2 Samuel 20 where Joab, you may recall he walks up to his cousin Amasa and he sweet talks him. He says, art thou in good health, my brother? And that's nice. My brother, we're related. And it says that Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. And as he took him by the right hand to kiss him, it says, So Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's left hand, and Joab smote him in the fifth rib, and he died. It's actually much more descriptive than that if you've read the text. You know, I didn't have a beard in that commissioner's office, but I had a fifth rib. <laughs> and I was a little nervous. <laughs> we can build together. We seek your God as ye do. No, no, actually they don't. You know these Super Bowl ads about Jesus gets us. $20 million will be spent on the Super Bowl today. It's actually 40. First half and second half. There's two of them. Over a billion dollars 
$1 billion since the summer has been spent on these black and white ads. And the goal, if you've seen them, they're innocuous, but the goal is to make Jesus more appealing to atheists and skeptics. That's what they said. The reason we're doing this is so that we won't be so hated. And yes, while most of the money came from David Green, they want us to help. They want us to help other Christians to help finance these ads. For me, I would love to see a billion dollars go to support church planters and missionaries who actually preach the gospel where Jesus saves souls and changes lives and rescues them from hell. Parents, listen, be wary of that offer. Use discernment in these dark days when the silver tongues come and say, hey, listen, relinquish your children's minds and hearts to us. Because we seek them the same way you do. We want their good and their God just like you do. We can build with you. That's number one. The second thing they say is we can bond with you. Look at our text again, would you? Verse 25, when he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Now notice, you can't see the abominations in his heart. Seven is the number of completion. What you see and what you hear are the fair, fancy words. Here's what it says. When he speaketh fair, believe him not. Can I ask you a question? Do you know what you believe this morning? Do you know exactly, firmly, with conviction, what you believe? Okay, do you then realize and embrace that what you believe is not necessarily what other people believe? And what other people believe is not what you believe? Pastor, that's not exactly rocket science. Okay, I, I grant you. But here's the issue. What about when others who believe differently want you to believe what they believe? Or, even more silver-tongued, they want you to believe that what you believe is what they believe. And then they add this. The only people who don't agree with that are hateful and dangerous and bigoted and ignorant and outdated well, Pastor, you're 65 years old now. You are outdated. Okay. But I preached exactly like this when I was 25 years old. And there are millions and millions of 25-year-olds right now who believe exactly like this. The world told Amos that he was outdated 25 centuries ago. I'm not at all bothered by that. Never have been. I wasn't when I was a young man. Nor do I expect that this world will ever love or embrace the message of Christ or this book. Not even after a trillion dollars of advertising is spent in every Super Bowl ever to change. Folks, messaging is not the problem for the world. The message is. And the message is non-negotiable. It's his message. So if the world, or if Sweet-talking religion, Christianity, postmodern Christianity says, let us bond together. Let us believe together. Be sure, beloved, to look past all the silver dross of flattery and disguise. 
Look beyond the shiny object of of those fair, beautiful words and recognize that sometimes, you know what? Sometimes being tolerant and supposedly open-minded or cooperative or like-minded is really, in essence, being disloyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm all for unity. I am. The Bible teaches it. I'm all for cooperation. I sat down with those county commissioners and said, look, there's a place where we can cooperate and cooperate and get along and agree and agree, but there's a line right here where my cooperation with you would be disloyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. My football coach used to say, look, fellas, we have one playbook, one rule book, one coach, one game plan, and under that truth, we have one team. That's unity. And our God is all for that. What the adversary wants to do, you see, is join up with you and with us, but with a different rule book. I remember when Ansley was really little, she said to me once, she said, Papa, next time you play golf, I want to be your caddy. Okay, all you have to do is, is count my strokes. Let's practice. Three plus two plus two plus two is what? She goes, three? I said, perfect. Best round ever, Amen. <laughs> No, no, no. There's one rule book. There's one playbook. There's one coach. You know, the Bible says in Acts 2 that the disciples were in one accord in one place. We talked about that Wednesday. That's unity. Oh, wait, wait a minute. They weren't in one accord with the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, or with Herod, or with Pilate. There's a big move in Christianity. It's been around for a while in circles in this country about, quote, tearing down walls. It's time that we tore down the walls. Let them come down. Sounds good. But you know, folks, the purpose for that building in Ezra 4, for example, was to build a wall. Why? To keep the adversaries out. I tell young couples in premarital counseling. I have a premarital counseling session right after church today. And I tell them that the most important thing they can do to save their marriage is to fortify a wall. Put up a barrier of faith and conviction of love and trust that is so strong that no negative influence can come in and put a wedge between the husband and the wife. Walls aren't always bad things. I have a good friend in the ministry. He came to me many years ago with his wife and he said, he said, don't you think it's time, Jim, to tear down these ecclesiastical walls? that are all over the place and separate Christians. And I said, well, not the ones that God built. Not the ones in His Word. And his wife said, God doesn't build walls. Walls are bad things. And I said to her, really? What about the wall between your husband and other women? Tear down that wall. And of course, when I said, do other women have a place in helping you to build your marriage? Man, the jealousy rose up in her. No. <laughs> she liked that wall. Well, you know, I told her, I said, you know, God is a jealous God. It's a holy jealousy. Someone once said that Eve was so jealous of Adam that every night when he came home, she'd count his ribs. <laughs> There's an old Hebrew proverb that says marriage is like a castle. It is like a castle under siege. Sometimes those within want to get out. 
and sometimes those without want to get in. But in either case, what helps save the castle are the walls. And I just want to say this morning that the same thing applies to everything in life that is good and godly and profitable and right. Adversaries will use their so-called alliances to stop your work. Let us build with you. Let us bond with you. Remember the scene, if you've seen the, the old film, It's a Wonderful Life. When Henry Potter makes all of these, these wonderful sounding offers to George Bailey. Ah, George, you can have $20,000. $20,000 a year is the equivalent today to $350,000 a year salary. Trips to Europe, nice suits, a happy wife. He's the definition of verse 23. And he's making all these promises, and George, of course, is flattered. Because remember what he says to him? He says, you're smart. You're not like everybody else. You're smart, and you're ambitious, and you're visionary. And so George is listening, and he's all in. Until Potter reaches out his gnarly, cold, moist hand to shake. To shake on that deal and on that bond. And like a flash, you'll remember, George realizes it's all a scheme. He suddenly realizes that there's no, he's like, yeah, there's no altruism in that man's heart. Just malice and greed. Well, folks, that cold, slimy hand is what's always put out from those who want a bond. But when that bond does not include the kindred spirit of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We can build with you. We can bond with you. It's just this. Number three, finally, we can blend with you. You notice the chapter again, we mentioned the word hatred in the text. Well, you realize it's actually used three times in three verses. It's used in verse 24. See the hateth. It's used in verse 26, whose hatred is covered by his deceit. It's used in verse 28, a lying tongue hateth those. In other words, follow this carefully, that's hatred. That's real, bona fide hatred as defined by God himself. Because we hear a lot about hatred from the world all the time. Haters, love not hate. This is hatred. And you know, for all the fancy talk of love and unity and assimilation from the silver dross crowd, for all their desire to, to blend and eliminate the differences. Beloved, never forget that hatred and animosity, when it's in the heart, will never, ever, ever blend with the love of God. It can't. A long time ago, when I was a teenager, I came to terms with the reality that friendship with the world is enmity with God. So I had to make the choice. Do I want to be the friend of God or the enemy of God? Do I want to be the friend of God or the friend of the world? Jesus said they hated me without cause. You cannot blend with someone who hates without a cause. You can love them. You can pray for them. And you can speak truth to them. And guess what? You can also be loyal to Christ by not being deceived by the silver dross of their empty words. I said this was a message originally intended for Sunday night. 
but clearly there are folks in this room who needed it now and today. The next time you're flattered to sell out because it's shiny, to sell out to find it for finances, fame, or whatever, think of this and walk away from that. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. But this is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God that says it's just shiny dirt when their heart, when their heart is not true with God. How about you this morning? I'm telling you, you can look around and you can see. You can look to our neighbors to the north. I'm talking about Canada and England. And there are friends of mine and others who have been jailed for speaking the truth. They were told you're intolerant, you're bigoted. Hey, listen, all you have to do, and then out comes the silver words, all you have to do, we all believe in the same God. All you have to do is agree. John Bunyan went to jail. They sent his blind daughter and said, and she in her blindness said, Daddy, just sign the paper. Just It's a license to preach from the Church of England. Just sign it. And he did not. He stood for his convictions. Why don't we do the same? And why don't we determine to do the same now? So that when that temptation comes, like Daniel, we will say, no, we will not defile ourselves. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I wonder who'd say this morning, Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today. And by the grace of God, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. But as a believer, as a Christian, I needed this reminder. I stated at the beginning of the message that, that this text, this warning, this admonition in Proverbs is especially, especially appropriate for our day and age, and it is. It really is. I mean, people are, during the COVID period, it was shocking how many Christians and churches almost instantly put aside the word of God and obeyed whatever anybody told them, just without blinking. That was a virus. Imagine what real hardship and trouble and persecution might do. No, we need a purpose in our heart now. Pastor, I'm saved, but I needed the message today, and God is speaking to my heart about something. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building as God's people? Amen and amen, and I raise mine. There is a point to where compromise equals disloyalty to Christ. And I believe the Holy Spirit will show you that place and that point. I think that he will convict your heart and show you. Maybe you're here today and certainly in a, in a group this size, there would be some, if not many. You say, Pastor Blay, like, I don't know that I'm a Christian, that I'm saved, that I'm born again, that I'm on my way to heaven. Those are Bible words, saved, born again. You were born in the flesh, you need to be born of the spirit, Jesus said. If you're here today and you don't know that your sins are forgiven, your names are in heaven, that if you died today, you'd actually be in heaven, you can know it. That's why God sent his son, Jesus, to die for your sins and mine. We're all sinners. All have sinned. Could we pray for you? You say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved, that I'm a child of God, but I want to be sure. With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking. Who would say that? I won't embarrass you. Just raise your hand. That's all. That's all. Just raise it up. All right. At home where you are, raise your hand. God bless you. See your hand, young man. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. This is the altar. Brother Andy will be here at the front. We're going to sing together. Christians, this is the altar for you as well.
Whatever God is speaking to your heart about, obey his voice, won't you? Father, we are so grateful for your word as always. Thank you for the admonitions and the warnings that are also contained herein. And thank you, Lord, that, that you inspired Solomon to warn and remind us that there are fair speeches. There are convincing words of so-called kindness, but the heart is filled with hatred. True hatred because they hate your word and your truth. I pray, Lord, you'll give us discernment in these days. But also, Lord, give us grace that when we know what we should do, we do it. We do what's right. Bless your people to that end in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.